Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 14 and go through verse 20 today. Now, as you turn and do that, um, can you show some Robin some appreciation? She stepped in on such short notice last week. She got the call Friday afternoon uh, that I was going to be out and Chris was out of town. And so uh, I thought she did a marvelous job filling in um, with the amount of time she had. Uh, Robin, you're gifted, and I want to thank you so much for sharing those gifts here. Um, Yeah, you can clap again for her. She's awesome. Our scripture, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. The word of God reads, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him in prayer. O holy God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I was preparing uh, this scripture, as I was studying it and preparing for this sermon, it it led me to recall uh, the first time I ever preached. And and I was about 17 years old. I had no idea that this would be the vocation God would call me to. Uh, I merely thought my dad was the preacher, and there was a youth Sunday, and there was like three kids, so I got voted um, to be the preacher that day. <laughs> and, and so I can recall going back and uh, writing on notebook paper sermon and trying to figure out the scripture and trying to get a main idea across. Now, something to understand about 17-year-old Nathan, uh, he had a disdain for reading and writing. Uh, Did not enjoy it, was not a fan of it, but yet here I was struggling to write a, a sermon and get a main point. And my dad came and sat down with me at the kitchen table and, and he asked questions and clarified questions. It really wasn't trying to get me to preach any one thing or go any one direction, but rather making sure what I said was going to be comprehensible to other people. And so after I finally had a manuscript, manuscript written down, he took me up to the church and unlocked the sanctuary. And, and there we went in and, and he said, now you need to preach it to the empty room and, and, and begin practicing it so you can get your, your timing down. And he goes, because the more you practice it, the better you know it. And you need to make eye contact. And he says, eye contact is vital in ministry and vital in preaching. And then he also said, after I went through it a couple of times, he said, okay, now one other tip. Chew on the words like you're chewing gum. He goes, enunciate every syllable. And and syllable. It's a fun thing I do. Uh, Right, you got to put the right emphasis on the wrong syllable. 
So anyway, so he said, chew on it like you're chewing on gum so you can go at the right pace. Well, I have no idea what I preached. I have no idea what the scripture is. I have no idea what my point was. But I do know that it was over in six minutes. <laughs> six minutes. I mean, it was one of the, the fastest sermons ever preached. I chewed on every word about a mile a minute, kind of like if you remember the micro machine man or an auctioneer calling it out real quick. Uh, I mean, we were done quickly in everyone's eyes just going, huh? What exactly was said? It was hard to keep up. But six minutes, short and sweet. And some of you I know are now wondering, well, how did you get so long-winded? <laughs> I learned to chew on the words. Learned to chew on the words. But here in our scripture, we, we find the greatest of all, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And he goes to Galilee, and there he preaches his first sermon, and he preaches in 18 words. Not even six minutes. 18 words. The scripture tells us after John the Baptist is arrested, which was six months after Jesus' own baptism, that Jesus goes to Galilee and begins his ministry by preaching. And he preaches, the time is fulfilled, not clock time. He's not talking about the time on your watch or the time that we only have 168 hours in the week and there never seems to be enough to accomplish all we want in a week. But he's talking of an era. The, the era has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. And he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, when Jesus makes this proclamation in this short 18-word sermon, he's saying something of great importance. For you see, when we recall that when Jesus was baptized, that was his coronation day as the king of kings. We saw the spirit descend like a dove, and we heard the voice of God, his father, say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It was his coronation day as the king of kings. And then we saw him in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And there he demonstrated that as this new king, that he had authority and rule over Satan. And now he announces the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' message. And, and here he begins demonstrating and establishing that he has authority over sin. So he has authority over Satan and authority over sin. But this kingdom of God that's at hand, what exactly does he mean by this? He means it's the now and not yet. It's not fully consummated yet. The kingdom has come, but it is not fully consummated yet until we have the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And so we live in this now and not yet. But this kingdom that is at hand because the king is here, his kingdom is here. And when he preaches the gospel of salvation, he establishes his spiritual kingdom in the hearts of all who believe. The kingdom is present because the king is present. And the king, Jesus Christ, is present in your life. He's in your heart. We just sung the song about the king in my heart. 
and it makes you part of his kingdom. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in these 18 words, Jesus gives us two things for us to do. Repent and believe in the gospel. This idea, this understanding of repenting is is the, the actual turning away from the old life and from sin and putting our focus and energy towards Christ. And the believing in the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. That we will see him go on to live and journey all the way to the cross. Where he will die an atoning death and be resurrected for our salvation. This is the good news. That there is salvation for sinners through the son of God, Jesus the Christ. Repent. Turn from your way of living and believe that Jesus is the good news. Eighteen words, and Jesus manages to say it all. And then we see Jesus, after his brief sermon, go and begin calling apostles, his disciples. And as he does this, he's already demonstrated he has authority over Satan. And in his sermon, he demonstrates he has authority over sin. And when he calls on the disciples, when he calls on Simon and Andrew and James and John, he demonstrates that he is also king over sinners, that he has authority over sinners. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. This was the call Simon and Andrew received in the middle of their boat. Immediately, they jumped ship to go follow Jesus. And then as he went a little further, he found James and John, brothers, the sons of Zebedee. They were mending their nets. And his call on them had them drop their nets and leave their dad with their hired help. By his call alone, sinners left everything in their lives to be with him. That's the call Jesus puts on us. That's the call to repent and believe in the gospel. For he is the king of kings. Now when we look at his calling of these first four apostles, there's some a couple of things we notice that are quite important. One is that they were all fishermen, throwing their nets overboard, about 20 foot in diameter with rocks, throw them overboard and then pull them up, and then throw them overboard and pull them up. All day long, every day, this was their living. And as we saw with James and John, they were mending their nets or equipping them, tying their knots together to make them strong to be able to pull in the fish. Now, me personally, I didn't grow up doing a lot of fishing. In fact, uh, there were about four times in my life before I moved here that I went fishing. And in two of those instances, I lost the fishing poles in the water. Uh, so, so my track record before moving here was, was awful. I, I was no, by no accounts a fisherman. 
And, and then after moving here, I've, I've picked it up. I've got my own poles now. Uh, but one of my uh, favorite memories is I remember the first time I went out in Terry's boat. He's back here in the yellow shirt with us. And, and I went and he, he took me out in his boat fishing. He made sure I didn't eat bananas. I don't know if the rest of you have the rules. That's Janet's rule. No bananas. Couldn't have bananas for breakfast. But anyway, we go out fishing. I had a wonderful time just being out on the water, spending time with Terry. And, and it's a wonderful sanctuary anytime you can be on the water, near the water, and just enjoying God's great creation. Now, the other thing I know for certain that day is I didn't catch a single fish. I don't think Terry caught one either. In fact, uh, he may have been a little bit more stressed about it and trying to help the preacher catch a fish. And, and even when I tried to tell him to throw the line on the other side of the boat, we weren't catching anything. But he reminded me that day, and he reminds me every time we do get to go out fishing, that it's called fishing, not catching. Right? right? And so we hear Jesus' promise. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. For you see, Jesus, when we follow him, he teaches us how to fish for people. That is, how to have those loving relationships that are built on forgiveness and reconciliation, but then also allows us to have the fishing net of the gospel. He teaches us the words to use in those relationships, to go cast that net and to pull it in over and over and over again. See, we do the fishing, but it's Jesus who does the catching. For in Jesus' own words in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so though we see the call on the lives of the disciples, the apostles, and ourselves to go share the gospel with everyone we know and love to the corners of the earth, Relax, enjoy the fishing, enjoy building the relationships and casting the net of the gospel. Don't be anxious or worry about the catching. That's God's business. Just go and enjoy the water. The other thing that we notice is that Jesus put a call in his sermon. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we see with these four apostles, it has a real effect on their life. Immediately, on both accounts, they dropped everything, all of their livelihood. In fact, James and John left their dad out, really, to go do all the work by himself with some hired help. Left everything behind to go and be with Jesus. They gave up their careers, their lives, and their families. Everything to be with to follow Jesus. See, when Jesus calls us to repent and believe in the gospel, we grab on to that believing in the gospel. That's an easy aspect of what Jesus calls us to in that first sermon, in those 18 words, to believe in the gospel. When we hear the good news, it's why we're here. We praise God and give thanks for the gospel found in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's what we do here is we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that repenting that gets a little bit tough, where we begin to negotiate with Jesus. We begin to negotiate with God. How much of my current life can I hold on to while holding on to Jesus? 
we think we can hold the tension ourselves on both ends. For you see, when we were young, we learned our negotiating tactics. I saw it in my own toddlers. When it's bedtime, hey, Dad, will you read us a book? Yes, I will come and read one book. No, Dad, five books. Okay, I'll read two books. No, Dad, four books. And then I think maybe we'll agree on three, and I'm like, three books. We agree? And he goes, no, four. Right? They learn to be a little bit stubborn. And so it is as we grow older in our own negotiations, we're willing to give Jesus a little bit of our life and turn a little bit away from it. But there's some things that are so convenient that we want to hold on to while still trying to turn and follow Jesus. But when we turn to follow Jesus, if we're holding on to the back, it gets harder to get closer to him. It requires a loosening of our grip of our lives, of the way we were before. And so repenting for us becomes this immediate turn there at the beginning, but it also becomes the lifelong grace in process of loosening our grip on the old way of living to more fully focus on our king. The one who's come to fully love us, and to save us. And so following Jesus, believing in the gospel, isn't a matter of convenience. It's a matter of sacrifice. And it may feel like we're giving up a lot. And at some point in some people's lives, you may lose everything. But if you have Jesus... If you have the king of kings ruling in your heart, you have everything you've ever needed. Amen.